And so all the Enneagram teachers or uh, the majority of them, uh, when Christians started learning it, were New Agers because there weren't any Christians who knew it well enough to teach it. So the Christians were learning from New Agers. Welcome, everybody, to Truth Unbound. Once again, I'm your host, Walter Swain. And today we're going into part two of our interview with Marsha Montenegro of her ministry called Christian Answers for the New Age. Now, in the previous podcast, we interviewed her and she told us about her personal story, how she was involved in astrology and New Age and mysticism uh, deeply for years and then came to Christ and gave her life to him. And then God called her into this ministry where it's really a ministry of, uh, I think she has the spiritual gift of discernment of spirits, where she is able to find the these influences, these demonic and new age influences in much of even today, not just in the world today, but in the church and the theology and teaching uh, that is often prevalent uh, popularly in evangelicalism today. And she points it out and, and does her research and it's very carefully done and lovingly done. And so she uh, helps us understand and have knowledge and grow in our knowledge of the word and of these influences and to be able to defend uh, the faith against them. And so uh, we're, we're excited about what we're about to go into. To, and today uh, she is going to, to tell us all about that. But I want to remind you, if you are growing in your knowledge of the word because of Truth Unbound uh, Ministries and Podcast, then would you click on like and then also, if you would uh, click on following or subscribing to the podcast and then sending a link to it to everyone you know, share it on your Facebook page as well or Instagram or wherever and send a link, link to the podcast uh, by text to friends and family. And uh, just uh, want to encourage you to do that. And that way the word gets out. We continue to grow as a uh, listening family of Truth Unbound podcast. Well, without further ado, let's turn it over to Marsha. And uh, you will certainly enjoy this, and it will become of tremendous significance and a great tool of information for you as you learn to defend the faith as well. Welcome back, Marsha. It's good to see you again. And uh, again, welcome everyone who's watching the podcast today. This is kind of part two from our podcast of last week interview with Marsha. Uh, where she uh, told us the story of her life, how she came to know Christ, her background in astrology and New Age, and uh, how she came to Christ and now is in a full-time ministry, really as a home missionary, to uh, this this field, to those who are in this especially, and uh, makes a tremendous defense of the, the doctrines of the faith um, and uh, of the gospel itself. And Marsha, appreciate everything that you do in this. Uh, for those Thank that, I'll, I'll say a little more at the end, but let me put in a, a quick plug for you. Um, <laughs> and that is uh, on your website, also on your Facebook page, she is doing constant updates, uh, constant reports and um, essays on different new age influenced um, influences out there, I should say. And uh, especially in the church orb, if you will. And so uh, we just want to go ahead and let you uh, take uh, take over here at this point. And really our main, uh, this last week was your, your testimony. This week it is about um, the influences that are there that you see especially 
of the New Age in church doctrine and teaching, uh, popularly especially. Uh, I was looking again in an interview today um, that I watched in YouTube back in April by Ed Stetzer, uh, who's kind of, yeah, he's in that big Eva camp. Um, not a fan really too much, but, uh, but he does have some interesting interviews. I do follow the podcast for that. And he had one, uh, with, um, a, uh, we see it was with a, uh, uh, Matthew Stephen Brown, who's a pastor of a church in California. Oh yeah. Um, Matt Brown. Yeah. yeah and wrote, has written on this extensively use of the anagram and, and so there, you know, those kind of things I know are out there, but again, uh, there are others besides that, and a lot of it is very subtle and yeah. uh, can be easily missed. And so tell us what you believe. Um, I don't know in any certain order, unless you want to put them in order, but okay. <laughs> maybe the top two or three in the time that we have today, the top two or three uh, New Age style influences that are in the church today that we need to be aware of, defend against, and be careful with. Go ahead. Okay. Sure. All right. Uh, that'll that'll keep me busy talking here. That's <laughs> <laughs> yeah. all yours. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, well, you mentioned the Enneagram, and that certainly is one of them. And I think I'll tackle that first uh, yeah. since you brought it up. And it's probably most people have heard of it. There's still a few places uh, because I see comments on Facebook where they say, um, I've ne- I've, I haven't heard of it and my, my church doesn't talk about it or something like that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and, but it, that's really the exception, uh, because, uh, and one way to measure this is by how many Enneagram books are coming out from publishers like, um, IVP, University Press mm-hmm. and, um, Nelson, Thomas Nelson, and Zondervan and publishers like that that are perceived as Christian publishers, even though I think, um, I don't know if all of them, but I think IVP and Zondervan are both maybe owned by secular publishing companies. However, they still are retained as more or less as Christian publishers. Mm -hmm. And they publish what is supposed to be or perceived to be Christian books. And right. I mean, that's or even Bibles in the case of, you know, Zondervan and, and Thomas Nelson publishes Bibles, too. Right. I think so. <clears throat> and so um, there's still that's still kind of their their niche. Therefore, when they publish books and they publish a lot of books that really are Christian books, therefore, people tend to assume that the books they publish on the Enneagram have been vetted and actually have some kind of um, validity, right? Right. I mean, they, most people think, well, they wouldn't publish these books on the Enneagram if the Enneagram was invalid or or wasn't, you know, with some kind of uh, new age kind of tool or something. Right. So people's assumptions, um, including probably a lot of pastors, uh, have those assumptions and they either don't investigate or don't know what to investigate. They just kind mm-hmm. of take the publisher's word for it. Mm-hmm. Or they hear of another church or see an interview like the one you referred to uh, with Ed Stetzer and, and Matt Brown. And they see a pastor talking about the Enneagram who's written a book on the Enneagram, in fact. And then they assume it's okay. So this is one of the ways this kind of thing gets in. So 
one of the points I want to make is that people can't assume something is okay or is Christian based on the fact other Christians have accepted it. Right. And that's, you know, in in our current day, that needs to be a very big point that I want to make because I see that in other things too, not just the Enneagram. And so, I mean, we're told in scripture to, you know, be Bereans, to check all teachings out according to scripture. And I think that means, you know, check it out, especially if it's something that seems unusual or you've never heard of. That's always, a, I think, kind of a red flag. So when the Enneagram came out, when the first Enneagram book for the church came out in 2016, The Road Back to mm. You, okay, uh, from IVP, um, people should have been thinking, and I think they were thinking, well, what is that? But then when these authors and this book was saying this could this was could be a Christian tool, people should have thought, well, wait a minute. And they, and they were also claiming it was ancient. Then the next natural question is, well, if it's ancient and if it's a Christian tool or has been used by Christians, why haven't I ever heard of it? I mean, it's very unusual for something ancient that's supposed to be so great to have uh, been under wraps for several centuries. So, right, right. you know, it just it, when something comes on the scene like that and it's really big and you never heard of it and yet it's supposed to be ancient. That's just always a red flag because there's a lot of things like that out there um, claiming to be ancient that really aren't. And mm. the Enneagram is one of them. So oh, just in case anybody listening may not know what the Enneagram is, it is a nine pointed diagram. And it's a geometric figure. And I think it's like three interlocking triangles or something. I'm not very good at at geometry or math or anything like that. So I don't <laughs> want to try to describe it because I'll probably be wrong. But I do know it has nine points. And um, this originally was a uh, devised by a man named George Gurji in 1916. Um, and it was considered by him. He said this was a map of the universe, of the cosmos, mm -hmm. uh, that all the laws of the universe fit into this diagram. And he even said that we wouldn't really need any books because we could learn everything if we understood how this diagram works. Um, now, of course, that is a typical esoteric kind of occult concept that you can have a geometric figure that explains the whole world. You know, I mean, that just <laughs> most people, most people, if they aren't into esoteric thinking, would think, no, that doesn't really make sense. But mm. if you're into the kind of thinking I had in the new age, where you think that you think that there can be hidden meanings um, that can be unlocked through certain methods or through understanding certain things. You you could believe maybe that, yes, he was right. And that if you understood what this represented and how it worked, you really could understand things that right. were found and, and maybe things most people didn't know. So it's, it's very sellable for that kind of mindset. And um, of course, he had followers and he was teaching people to wake up to uh, kind of what he considered to be reality because everybody's asleep. And that's another occult idea. Oh, wow. And, and, you know, he said you had to become, he called it the new man. 
So that was his whole program and teachings were based on this. And he used the diagram in that. He said it also illustrated movements of the cosmos, movements in the universe. I mean, mm. like flows and rhythms. And he um, devised dances that express those flows and rhythms that you can see on YouTube. You go to YouTube and, and maybe put in the search box, uh, Gurdjieff dances, uh, several will come up because oh, they're wow. followers of Gurdjieff's teachings all over the world. And many of them do these movements. They're not really dances, but they're all people standing there on a stage. And there's this music. Sometimes the music's very bizarre sounding. And they're moving all in, in, in synchro, synchronized movements, these certain ways. Like they'll, you know, they'll just do these certain, I can't even, you know, these certain movements with their arms and legs and mm -hmm. everything. And this is, these are all supposed to be these movements that kind of, attune you to the movements of the cosmos so i kind of went kind of far with that but i want people to really understand that the thinking that that started this enneagram that's what that kind of thinking is it's this esoteric occult hidden meaning kind of thing which is completely contrary to scripture right and right. uh you know, there aren't hidden messages in creation that we were supposed to read uh there aren't hidden messages in the bible there aren't hidden secret messages you figure out with a mathematical code, like, you know, the whole big thing around the late 1990s that came out about the Bible code. And yes, several yeah. books were written on that. Um, that is all esoteric occult stuff. And it's completely contrary to the scripture and to the nature of God. Mm. And so when I think really in a lot of churches, what they need to teach more is the nature of God. Who is God? Because um, I think a lot of people don't really completely understand it because if they did, it would help them discern the problems with things like the Enneagram. Hmm. That God doesn't like it when we try to get hidden messages out of something. That's really a form of divination. And it's not, you know, that's what astrology is. There was an astrologer. So astrologers believe that the planets represent, you know, forces in your life. They represent um, even people in your life, um, things going on in your life. So when they look at your astrological birth chart and they see, you know, the planet Neptune um, in the 10th house, let's say, which has to do with career and goals, they'll interpret it, you know, it has a meaning. Um, Neptune being there has the meaning of Neptune, which can be uh, deception. It can be idealism. Mm -hmm. um, it can, in a more practical way, it can mean film, um, you know, like photography or videos or something like that. Mm -hmm. So, but that, you know, but that's a meaning that man has given to that planet. Neptune actually doesn't mean anything. It's just a, it's a planet. <laughs> <laughs> and all right. the planets are just planets. They don't have meanings, you know. Venus is not the planet of love. It's not the planet <laughs> of relationship. Um, so what I'm trying to get across here is that to let people watch out for, for hidden meanings being given to things in creation. That includes numbers, you know, shapes, figures, um, planets, uh, the lines on your hand, which would be palm reading. Um, so all of all mm. divination tends a lot of divination tends to be reading hidden meanings. So that's so that's the start of the Enneagram. 
And then um, it was later adopted by a man named Ichazo, right? who was an occult teacher. He was Bolivian, but he uh, started a school in Chile, in Arica, Chile, uh, which is in the northern part of Chile. And the school was called Arica. And he, he was teaching the Enneagram there. Now, there are different stories on how he got the Enneagram, found out about the Enneagram. There's several stories. Some of them are very bizarre, like supposedly he had a dream and an angel came to him and explained uh, the 108 meanings or something of the. <laughs> yeah, I read about, I read some about yeah. that in some articles. Yeah. Yeah, uh, which is also a very esoteric kind of thing. Uh, and then just other other people, my friend, Dr. Ron Huggins, who's a, a scholar and has published in scholarly magazines and taught at three seminaries, said it's more likely that Ichazo probably learned about it from a book by Uspensky. Uspensky was a stu student of Gurdjieff, and he wrote books about Gurdjieff's teachings, including uh -huh. the Enneagram. And so it's, it's very possible Ichazo uh, had got access to one of Uspensky's books. But we don't really know. However, he got it. He started teaching it, but he started teaching it with, you know, his own twist, which was um, he said each of the nine points represented what he called an ego fixation. Now, the ego is the false self. It's not who you really are. And this term ego being uh, standing for the false self is still used today in the new age, uh, not by all new agers, but it's often used. It's not unusual. And then we'll say ego or the ego self, and that will represent the false self because in the new age, your true self is really divine. So the false self is the outward, the outward self, the way that the way that you think you are, who you think you are, that kind of thing. Hmm. And so ego is often used in that sense. And Eckhart Tolle, I just want to point this out because Eckhart Tolle, who was promoted on Oprah, he wrote a book, um, A New Earth. And then I believe he wrote other books. Um, I have two articles on A New Earth on my website. Um, he started talking about in his book, he talks a lot about the ego and how it gets in the way of understanding. And I noticed that some Christians, I had a lot of questions about his book from Christians because he quotes scripture. Mm -hmm. And I think some people were wondering where he was coming from. Is he a Christian? What What's the deal with him? Um, and also they said, but some of the things he said is good, like the ego, you know, the ego makes you proud or the ego keeps you from being humble. And they're like, well, that's true. The problem is what he means by ego is not what Christians think he means or what a lot of <laughs> Right. This is one of the problems in the new age is that you have familiar words, but the way the new age is using it is not the meaning that we normally use. Exactly. So the way exactly. he's using it is as a false self. And uh, the best I can determine on Eckhart Tolle, I would describe him as a Buddhist slash New Ager, which is exactly what I was, kind of a Zen Buddhist slash New Ager, or it was or Zen Buddhist influenced New Ager. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I can tell, I also watched some of his videos of his lectures, and that's how I would classify him. 
So yeah. I'm, I'm pointing out here, and actually this is, even though I'm kind of going off here, I'm, I'm making some points that I think would be good for people to know. Okay. You know, I'm talking about the new age. I want to give people ways to be more discerning. And so this is one of the things is to uh, try to understand what the meaning of a word is, uh, like ego. And uh, when you see it being repeated a lot, or if the person using it has some ideas that you're kind of wondering about that maybe sound good, but maybe not quite right, you know, then you need to, to, to don't assume you understand that the word means what you think it means. <laughs> exactly. Uh, and, you know, when uh, I'm teaching in a, my apologetics classes and talking about it, engaging in conversation yeah. about these things, I always tell them up front. Uh, that up front in the conversation, ask the question, what do you mean by that? Because like you said, yeah. there's there's terms that are used and you, you may see it defined one way when they're actually seeing it defined. It's the same word, but they're defining it in a totally different way. So very yeah, wise. Thank you for mentioning that. Yeah. And so, I mean, I think a lot, some Christians know this about maybe some of the cults like Mormonism that when Mormons talk about Jesus, the kind of Jesus they believe in is different from the biblical Jesus. But exactly. they'll still say Jesus Christ and it can sound very Christian. Mm -hmm. So, you know, this is, and, and so it's the same situation in the new age. And so um, the problem is the new age has so many words they use like yeah. that. <laughs> you can't uh, make a list of them. Um, so, yeah. um, so the, the nine points each represent, presented an ego fixation and that meant that coming into this life you actually have a pure essence um and that's always there but it gets covered up and hidden by the conditioning you get from culture from your upbringing um you know from re whatever religion you believe right uh, from what you yourself think about yourself and so um, all of that conditions you to see yourself a certain way and you become fixated on that. And there's a predominant view that you hold on to and that's your ego fixation. So if you can, you figure out which ego fixation you are and then you dismantle that so that you can see that's not really who you are and that you're really this pure essence underneath. So mm. that's how he was teaching the Enneagram. And then his student, Claudio Naranjo, who was a, um, a psychiatrist who specialized in the effect of hallucinogenic drugs on the brain, uh, that was his specialty. Uh, he studied Enneagram and then he started teaching it in California. And he had, um, and he taught something similar to Ichazo, except he had the nine types and each type was your persona, your basically your false persona, not really who you are. And so here again, you have to understand that so that you can uncover that and find the true self. So that's really what's behind the Enneagram. It has nothing to do with a personality profile. It didn't come from psychology. It has no validity in psychology. Um, it's been um, refuted by a few uh, psychologists who have said this is not valid at all. The psychometric test was used by Dr. J. Medwalt, who's a uh, Christian psych psychologist. 
and just got his PhD recently. Um, we quote him in our book, Richard Warren, The Enneagram Secret, which is a book I wrote with um, Don and Joy Vino, okay. who are longtime friends of mine. They run Midwest Christian Outreach. Oh, okay. Yeah. So there, you might like to have Don on your program one time. Oh. <laughs> I recommend him. He's, he's, he's been doing ministry for like over 30 years and all in the cults and, and some new age areas. And he's, uh, knows a lot of stuff. Okay. Anyway, great. Thanks for mentioning it. Yeah. So here we see what the tool is and what it's become in the new age. Um, now a Catholic uh, man named Bob, Bob Oaks, a Jesuit took it to a Catholic seminary in Chicago and started teaching it there. And so some of the priests there learned it and started teaching it. And so for, so it spread into the Catholic church that way, mm -hmm. although it was never officially um, accepted by the Roman Catholic church, they never, they never put a stamp of approval on it or promoted it. And in fact, uh. first warnings and exposés at the Enneagram came from Roman Catholics including a, uh, I think he's a Jesuit, Jesuit priest, Mitch Pacwa, P-A-C-W-A, actually wrote a book um, called Catholics and the New Age in the early 1990s. And he had a chapter on the Enneagram. He had learned the Enneagram at that seminary, um, that Catholic seminary, and he had been teaching it and then started investigating it and realized what it really was and he stopped teaching it and started trying to expose it and hmm. um that chapter of his book was published as an article in the christian research journal in 2009 hmm. it was called um tell me who i am oh enneagram i think it's online and um that that was an expose of what the enneagram really is so i don't want to spend too long on this but i want people to understand what it really is Right. And then when um, now I have to tell one more one, one more step here in the <laughs> process of the Enneagram, and that's Richard War, who is a Franciscan friar. So he's in the Roman Catholic Church. He learned the Enneagram at that seminary. And he's he's he really got into it. And he wrote a book with a Lutheran pastor named um uh, I can't remember his first name now, but his last name is Ebert, E-B-E-R-T. -E -E they wrote a book um, and the, the original title, I can't recall, but then the, the final title in the book as it is now is called The Enneagram, A Christian Perspective. Hmm. And that came out around 91, 92. Um, <clears throat> but it was, you know, it was out there um, and, but it wasn't, it hadn't, it definitely was not in the evangelical church, but the progressives who were used to be called the emergence, right? Right, um, like uh, Bob McLaren and, and Rob Bell and Tony Jones and those, those guys, mm -hmm. the progressive church, but they wasn't called that then, uh, was friends with Richard Rohr. How that happened, I'm not sure, but like Rob Bell admitted in a video he did. I think he did this video around 2015 or something that he had been uh, influenced by Richard War for a number of years um, at mm. that point, like eight or eight years at least. So um, they they knew Richard War and Richard War had written this book on the Enneagram. And I started noticing that at their conferences, they had speakers on the Enneagram. 
And that really, um, you know, kind of got my attention. I knew what the Enneagram was because I remember when I was in the new age hearing about the Enneagram. I didn't investigate it. I wasn't interested in it because I was an astrologer. So I didn't look into it, but I had heard of it. So, and I knew, I knew, I knew generally what it was. Mm -hmm. Um, And I thought of it as a new age tool. So when I heard these progressives were using it, I was surprised. So, um, and they kept having it every year. So then I decided to write an article on it. Plus I had been asked about it in the 1990s. Uh, some missionaries in Europe had asked um, my church to ask me to look into it. <laughs> and so um, um, I, my my church was supporting them as missionaries. And mm-hmm. so I had already done some initial investigation to answer their question. That was probably around 1998 or something. Um, it might have been a year or two earlier. And so now I saw it in the progressive with a progressive. So I wrote my article for my website in 2011, um, the Enneagram GSP Gnostic Path to the Self. And I wrote how the goal of it was to find this inner true self. Well, then in 2016 comes along and I started warning about it on Facebook in 2014. 2016 comes along and the road back to you gets published by Ian Cron and Suzanne Stabile by IVP. They do book tours. It starts catching on um, a little bit. Then in 2017, Zondervan publishes The Sacred Enneagram by Chris Horitz. And it comes with a workbook and it starts catching on more. And the authors are going and speaking at churches, at seminaries, at conferences, at Christian conferences. So now it's really, it's beginning to gain ground in uh, 2017, 2018. It's really starting to pick up speed and I'm getting very alarmed and I've been warning about it on Facebook. So I want to point out here that the first book, The Road Back to You by those two authors, Suzanne Stabile was mentored by Richard Rohr. Now, this is very important because I've mentioned Richard Rohr's um, part mm-hmm. in the Enneagram. Right. And Ian Cron has taught at Richard Rohr's Center for Action and Contemplation. Now, Richard Rohr, the reason this is important is because Richard Rohr is completely heretical. He's a textbook example of, of heresy. So mm. <laughs> this is a, mm. he would be a good case to teach in seminary to teach what heresy looks like. Um, in a contemporary figure. Yeah, I, uh, well, I appreciate you holding back on your comments. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, do you want me to tell you what I really think? <laughs> you can tell you what you really feel, yeah. Yeah, 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 I know, I'm holding back here. Yeah. So just to give an example of a few ideas, uh, the first incarnation of Christ was creation. Mm-hmm. The second incarnation was Jesus. Um, we've never been separated from God, so salvation is not necessary. Jesus did not die on the cross for sins. Wow. Um, And Jesus and the universal Christ are distinct. They are not one and the same. So, I mean, there's more. Almost Gnostic. That's just, yes. Yeah. It's, it, it's, it is almost Gnostic. Now, the reason he has those views is because he is a follower of perennial wisdom, also called the perennial philosophy. I have an article on that on my uh, website christiananswersnewage.com um, and so I've been trying to do a lot of uh, Facebook posts and stuff on that 
I started that a few years ago when I this perennial thing started looming um, in the church. And part of it is due to Richard War, part of it's due to the Enneagram, and part of it's due to something else, which is the next thing I want to talk about. Hopefully, mm-hmm. I'll give myself enough time here. <laughs> um, so I want to kind of get on with the Enneagram. So he is a heretic because his view of Jesus is heretical. His view of God is heretical. Um, he's a panentheist. He believes God is contained in creation. Mm. That's why we're all a part of God. That's why we don't need salvation. We've always been a part of God. And this is perennial wisdom believes that all religions started from the same source and are rooted in the same, uh, what they call divine reality. And uh, so all religions, all the world religions are true, even though outwardly they differ. Outwardly, their doctrines and rituals uh, differ. But when you, if you go beneath that and you go to the inward meaning of the religions and you do this by going on an inward journey, which is mysticism, uh, you discover that there's this core truth and that's the perennial truth. That's the perennial wisdom that's Mm. embedded in all religions. And so mysticism is the bridge between religions. And that is the way you uncover the core truth of all religions. So Richard Rohr is a huge advocate of contemplative practices and of mysticism because he believes this is the way that you see this core truth, that you see the true reality of of everything. Um, Now, this perennial view is subtle. I don't think still, even though I think a few more Christians know about it now. Um, partly because I've done a few programs on it and I've been mm-hmm. posting like crazy on Facebook and I don't know if other people are talking about it or not, but I've been trying to do my part with it. And um, I had some help, by the way, from I just I mentioned him earlier, Dr. Huggins, who knows mm-hmm. a little more about this area than I do. And so um, here's the problem with perennial wisdom. It is incompatible with Christianity. It clearly. Yeah. 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 And now now what Richard Rohr has is a Christian form of the perennial wisdom. So not all followers of perennial wisdom would say what he says about Jesus, because a a Sufi or a, Mm -hmm. um, you know, a Jewish perennialist would maybe have another view of Jesus. Uh, So there it's not going to be all the same. But that tends to be a view at least that Richard Rohr has and that maybe some other Christian, another Christian perennialists have, and they would call themselves Christians. Uh, Sometimes they'll say, I follow the Christian tradition. So uh, that's a language to watch out for because they'll say in the Christian tradition, in the Hindu tradition, you know, in the Islamic tradition. Mm -hmm. Um, And so a perennial follower will, will sometimes use that language. Um, Now, I've seen these words from some people in the church connected to the Enneagram. And Um, so it makes me wonder where they're coming from, because they seem to be accepting of other religions as valid. And Suzanne Stabile and Ian Cron are two of them. hmm. And they're the authors of the most popular Enneagram book in the church. 
it sold as of two or three years ago, it had sold 750,000 copies. Oh, that's huge. Um, and Don, Don and I both think it's still the best selling Enneagram book in the church. And, you know, there was a, theirs was the first book, The Sacred Enneagram. Chris Hurwitz, I mentioned him. He was mentored by Richard War and had three new age teachers on the Enneagram. So because the Enneagram was the most popular in the new age, you know, in terms of where was the Enneagram the most popular and the most used, it was the new age. Mm-hmm. And from the from psychic Helen Palmer, who learned it from Naranjo and started teaching it in the new age. All these people in the new age, you know, latched onto it. And many of them became teachers and authors of Enneagram books. And so all the Enneagram teachers or uh, the majority of them, uh, when Christians started learning it, were new agers. Because there weren't any Christians who knew it well enough to teach it. So the Christians were learning from new agers. Uh, This includes one of the big Enneagram teachers in the church, probably one of the most popular uh, named Beth McCord, whose husband, Jeff McCord, was a PCA minister. Hmm. And I don't think he's doing that anymore because now he's with Beth McCord in their Enneagram business, which is huge. Not only does she teach the Enneagram, but she certifies Enneagram teachers, Christian Enneagram teachers to teach what she calls a gospel-centered Enneagram. Mm. Now, this is like saying, I was an astrologer before I was a Christian, but now I'm a Christian, so now I teach gospel-centered astrology. Right. <laughs> it's, it's, there's no difference between, in terms of validity and Christianity, there's no difference between astrology, or maybe non-Christianity. <laughs> there's yeah. no difference between astrology and Enneagram. Right. They're equally pagan. They're equally non-Christian. So um, this has confused a lot of people because they will even say, oh, you know, I but I don't do the Enneagram the way Richard Rohr teaches it. I do it the way Beth McCord teaches it, as though that makes right. it okay. So you see, the deception is very, very deep, and it's very strong. And it has been a... Um, a tremendous battle trying to get the information and the facts out there. It's still um, in the church. It's still growing. Um, We went from one book in 2016 to over 140 titles. um, I think as of late last year, something like that, Uh, 140 Enneagram titles like on, on christianbook.com. So it's just, you know, it's multiplied. Right. So and that's that's my thing on the Enneagram. Yeah. <laughs> okay, good. No, thank you. Yeah, that's why we we want to talk about it. I'm I I took the, I have the transcript uh mentioned him before and you know him. Um you know Matt Brown. Um yes. and he's lead founding and lead pastor of Santos Church. I'm reading from the that podcast transcript. Uh so it's oh, not yeah. smooth writing, it's conversation, but I wanted to mention a couple of things in it uh, to you now that you mentioned that. I, I had it on hand. Um, uh, he wrote the book. Uh, I don't see the title here. Um, uh, something about it's something about you. The uh, It has the word you in the title, the journey of, no, I don't think it has journey. It's something I can't remember now either. I did a Facebook right. post on it, but it has the title. It has the word you in it. Um mm. Right. Okay. Okay. Maybe I'll run across it here. Good. Um, yeah. yeah. So he talks about it, uh, understanding the anagram 
Enneagram from a graceful biblical perspective. Yeah. Um, and, and he talks later about his biggest deal is, um, it, it, he says it's, it's not a personality test. He says it, it reveals the sin. So he ties it in with some scriptural weaves it scriptural teaching in it, that it's the sin, uh, habits and motivations that, that you have, it helps reveal that to you. So right. that you'll live a biblical way of life. You see how it's it's interplayed. Yeah. And when it so comes he, to the pentagram, yeah. he says, um, he because Ed Stetzer asks him about that, about, you know, then then says some people are, you know, makes it controversial. And uh I'm reading here through his comment, he says, um he goes, um, he says, so the Enneagram comes from India, is the number nine in Greek. Um uh he says, you know, uh like the graphic you write on the paper, so it's literally nine numbers on paper. Daniel is saying, I think the image of the Enneagram as a Christian is kind of like, whoa, that's why it's not in my book. I told the editor, don't put it anywhere in my book. I don't want that anywhere because I think it's not the pentagram we need to understand. It's saying things in geometry are evil. It's just literally a nine-sided, uh, he says, I want to say a square because it's a four-sided thing and you and I just outed myself mathematically here, but he says, it's just literally how, it's literally how many points on this space are there? You know, um, uh, the pentagram is five, a hexagram, you know, a pentagram or enneagram, all of these are just numbers that tell you how many points are that you're measuring. And so this is nine personality types that really are trying to get to the core issue of what is your sin struggle? And then how do you move towards, yeah. how do you move towards beauty? How do you move away from, uh, towards that? Uh, and then on and on he goes with it. So you see how it, yes. Weaves yeah, it. But that... then he just clearly says, he told the editor, uh, don't put that in there. That'll basically throw people off and make it sound like it's from India or something. You know, here you are explaining to us. Well, yeah. yeah. You know, <laughs> did he say from India? India uh, well, country? he was saying, alluding to, it would give that impression probably to some people, you know, he was I mean, making Enya, a, did he say, did he say Enya comes from the Greek for nine? Cause that's where it comes from. Yeah. 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 Oh, he did say yeah, he that. Does. Okay. He does say that. Yeah. Oh, okay. So, he was just saying yeah. it would sound, it would sound weird. Yeah. He says, it's really right. just a, a diagram. It's like a right. square or a five point, you know, you right. can make and it what I, you and want. I agree, I agree with him on that. And I try to get Christians to understand the shape is not evil. The shape is just a shape. Yeah. Just like a pentagram is just a shape. I mean, it, it's now, now, you know, the way it's used now by people in Wicca and witchcraft uh, as a pentagram, what they think it means you know, it's associated with witchcraft. So it it's seen as an evil symbol, but the symbol itself is neutral. Right. It's yeah, it's, not, it's how it's used. Yeah, I try to get them to understand that because if you're going to give a mystical meaning to shapes and figures, you're you're crossing over into the occult. You know, and that's exactly what we're trying to combat here. We're not, mm -hmm. you know, we're not going to give a mystical I mean, because shapes and figures are based on what? They're based on creation. They're based on God's creation. Right. Geometry is based on God's creation. Exactly. And, you know, it's that's lines and planes and circles. I mean, that all that's all creation that God made. So there's nothing evil about, you know, when you put certain things together, that shape is an evil shape. No, it's not an evil. Can't There can't be an evil shape. That's like saying right. there's, evil, there's evil pencils and there's good pencils. Right. You know? I don't <laughs> exactly. Know. 
it's a thing. It's how it's used, right? Yeah, yeah, it's how it's used and what it means. So, yeah, so, so I when agree he gets with him to on that. Yeah. But now the sin nature thing, I'm glad you brought that up because I did fail to mention something about that. Yeah, move away from your sin struggle towards beauty, he says. Yeah, so go ahead. That's the way the Enneagram is taught in the Christian context in most cases. It's taught as a way to find your sin pattern or your sin habits or the sin that you battle the most. And I think that perhaps the origin of that idea goes back to the false narrative that Evagrius Ponticus, who was a monk in the fourth century, used the Enneagram. Well, he didn't because Enneagram didn't exist. And mm. he was draw he drew, drew a lot of geometric shapes. Yes, he did. And uh, Dr. Ron Huggins, who did doctoral work in early church history, has actually looked at the original, at, not the original writings, but the writings, I guess, in Latin of Evagrius Ponticus, and yes. whatever he wrote in, I guess he wrote Yeah, Matt that. Brown mentions Ponticus. Yeah. Oh, yes. See, that's that. And that's one of the big lies that has helped the Enneagram in the church. That's given it a boost because people think Evagrius Ponticus wrote about it. And he's the one who wrote about the seven deadly sins. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of people think, well, see, that's how they can turn it into this diagram about your sin, your sins. Also, um, I didn't mention this either. When Ichazo was teaching the nine ego fixations, he the names he gave the ego fixations were the seven deadly sins plus two. Um, so huh. he uses seven deadly sins listed or that are, well, in the Bible, they are called the seven deadly sins, but that's what they're known as that are listed in the Old Testament. I, I guess it's in um, Proverbs. I'm not sure. Maybe, you know, Psalms or Proverbs. I, I don't know. I could be wrong. Oh, the seven anyway. abominations. Yeah. 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 Right. And so he he used those and then he had to add two because, you know, seven, seven is only seven and he needed nine. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so he, had to, he had to add two more deadly sins. Yeah. <laughs> And, and so, but that wasn't because he believed in sin, because he didn't. He was using that as a way to explain these ego fixations. And of course, think about it. And at the time he was teaching in the 1960s, he was in a Catholic, very heavily Roman Catholic culture and country. And so this was something people could relate to. You know, Chile is in South America. The whole of South America until the last few decades is heavily and almost exclusively Roman Catholic. So, you know, this is these are terms that seven deadly sins that they would have been familiar with. And it may have even appeared to make it more acceptable to people, you know, mm -hmm. who had that Roman Catholic background. Mm -hmm. So that's that may also be contributing to this idea that somehow these nine types are related to sin when in actuality they are not. I found the title of Matt Brown's book. It's called A Book Called You, Understanding the Enneagram from a Grace-Filled Biblical Perspective. Right, yeah. right. So this book, it, along with um, Beth McCord, you know, they're probably two of the most influential uh, teachers within the church who are perceived as teaching a Christian form of the Enneagram or teaching it in a Christian manner. Right. And so that makes people feel okay. They feel okay with it because they think, well, this is based on the Bible. It's based on Christianity. 
So there's nothing wrong with it. And oh, I, I just scrolled down on the on the Amazon page for Matt Brown's book, and I didn't I hadn't seen this before. There's a huge endorsement for it, laying a solid biblical foundation of scriptural insight. My friend Matt shows why devout Christians have used the Enneagram for centuries, which is false. Uh, that's not true. That's not true. For centuries. I've got to post this on Facebook. As a tool to grow in Christ-like discipleship, this book is coming to help you a lot. This is in big, huge letters from Rick Warren. Yeah, yeah, who's drifted far as himself. Yeah, many yes, who's drrifted. So yeah. here you wow. go. Um, and there's someone, Ray Johnston. I don't know who he is. He's past founding pastor of Bayside Church in Granite Bay, California. Well, okay. Matt Brown's out in California, so he may be a pastor that knows Matt Brown, but. At any rate, here you've got, you know, here you've got the huge deception. And as I said on Facebook, after the Enneagram was taking hold and spreading, I said, this is the biggest new age deception in the church. And and I, and I still think that's true. So um, I probably should move on to my, I at least want to do one more topic. Yeah, give us <laughs> another one too. Yeah, okay. yeah, we'll take a, probably about another at least 15 minutes here. So Okay, oh my goodness. All right, well, I'll try to do this one. You, you <laughs> probably don't want to go to a part three, but. <laughs> <laughs> don't tempt me, don't tempt me. <laughs> okay, I'm, I'm trying not to tempt you. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, this one is more subtle and it's a little harder to explain. I call it contemplative spirituality. And there uh, are so, yes, huge. There are so many facets to this. That's why it really needs its own program, its own hour, hour and a half. But um, I want to try to to at least discuss the real salient points of it. Okay. It is basically mysticism wrapped up to look evangelical. Uh, the way it's come into the church, the way it's come into the evangelical church. It's something that's existed in the Roman Catholic church for a while, but it's, you know, has not been in the evangelical church. We have not had spiritual directors in the evangelical church before. That's a new thing in the last three years or so. Hmm. Spiritual directors used to just be in the Catholic church. And I think initially they were monastic. They had to do with monks the spiritual directors were who uh, monks went to or the um, uh, nuns uh, would have a spiritual director. And so that's where that idea comes from. And it's not like a counselor. They're not really counselors. They're somebody who supposedly helps you discern where you are spiritually um, but it's in this very mystical way. It's not like a pastor that you're talking to and is helping you get spiritual understanding about your life. It's a very mystical thing where it, that involves a lot of um, this kind of contemplation and prayer that they teach, which involves getting into these certain states, quiet states of mind. And then you're supposed to Uh, There's different ways that it can be done, but you're supposed to be still your thoughts so that you can, quote unquote, hear God. Now, usually in most cases, it is not hearing. It's not about hearing God verbally. It's not there's you know, they don't teach you're going to hear God speak in a voice to you. That's not what Mm -hmm. they most of them teach. They're teaching that God will speak to you within you you know, in this, or the Holy Spirit will speak to you. Now, 
here's where it gets problematic because most Christians do believe that the Holy Spirit can guide us or the Holy Spirit does guide us, actually. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the Holy Spirit can convict us. The Holy Spirit can lead us. Okay. So when they hear this, it sounds okay because it's like, oh, yeah, well, I already believe that the Holy Spirit guides me. But right. the Bible tells us this. It doesn't tell us we need to get into a certain state. We don't have to breathe a certain way and, and sit still right. Right. and um, do certain techniques to get guidance from the Holy Spirit. And, of course, they go way beyond that. But this is one of the things that they teach that makes it seem okay. Uh, there is so much wrong with this movement. I mean, I, I'm just, I've been writing on it so much. Uh, mm-hmm. My first article, Contemplative Prayer, I wrote in 2005. That's on my website. Oh, wow. I suggest anybody interested to read it because I give the history. The way this happened was partly through the modern contemplative prayer movement, uh, which originally was called the Centering Prayer Movement. Mm-hmm. And it was started by three Trappist monks. Uh, Thomas Keating, Basil Pennington, and um, John Menninger. Wow. Uh, So they are the three Trappist monks. Now, Pennington and Keating both wrote books. And I've read some of Keating's books and some of Pennington's books. And I also went and heard Thomas Keating speak in person. And that would be another article for people to read. People who want to know more about this, because I won't, I can't, do all this you know with you right now so um, go and read my article on Thomas Keating on my website along with a contemplative prayer article to see what I'm talking about Uh, because in the article on Thomas Keating I give a you know rundown of his talk his lecture and um, all the problems with it so what I've noticed I have read a lot of this literature and these books and listened to a lot of talks from these people I have noticed every time they cite scripture, which they do frequently, they misuse the scripture. They either take it out of context Mm -hmm. or they just completely misapply it completely. They never, I have yet to see the correct use of a scripture. When they use a scripture to support contemplative practices, I have yet to see a correct use of that scripture. I haven't seen any, you know, if they might just be citing scripture about other things, they may use that correctly. But when they're trying to use it to support the practices they're teaching, they misuse it in every single case. So, you know, example, be still, know that I'm God, Psalm 4610, um, which is in the New American Standard. It's cease driving. Mm -hmm. I think cease driving and know that I'm God because it's about people not trusting God. And so God is saying, uh, stop running around, uh, get getting, you know, worried, worrying about your enemies. Um, you know, he's talking to Israel and I think the enemies of Israel and God is saying, just, you know, be quiet and remember I'm in charge. That's what he's saying. It's not about, it's not a Psalm about prayer or contemplation or being still. And what they mean by contemplation is not what, you know, we would call biblical contemplation or biblical meditation, which is meditating on God's words and meditating on who God is. 
Right. Okay. That's, that's, that's a proper form of contemplation. Their contemplation is actually not thinking. And they teach a special way of reading scripture called Lectio Divina. Now they don't say, they, they won't say don't study your Bible. Okay. Don't have Bible study. They don't say that. They'll say Bible study is good. You know, that's helpful, but that's not enough. It's right. not enough. You have to do, you have to do this, the special sacred reading of scripture. And they'll say, oh, this is an ancient practice and Christians have been doing it for centuries, you know, and then that's another thing to watch out for, because if somebody says that the first thing you should ask yourself anyway is, okay, just because Christians have been doing it for centuries, does that mean it's biblical? Right. That's, oh, no. that's an excellent point. No, that doesn't mean it's biblical. It might be, but it doesn't mean it is. So don't right. make an assumption. And um, because it's not, because it's reading, you take a passage of scripture, and it's not supposed to be very long, and you read that over, it might be five, six, seven verses. You read that over and over again, slowly, several times. And then you, as you reread it, you let a word jump out at you. And if a word jumps out at you, then you ponder that word, maybe repeating it in your mind over and over as you sit there in still, uh, you're supposed to be still and not move. So you ponder, let that word go in because that's a word that God, God is giving you. Hmm. Um, now, this is very subjective and esoteric. Exactly. Because you're, they, you, they, in fact, it's a ritual. Yeah, it's a ritual and it's and it's esoteric and you're not when you read a passage of scripture and you want to think about that passage. The first thing you need to do is to read it in context. The first thing you need to do is look at the passage before it and and, and may, or maybe look at the whole chapter. You know, if you're reading a passage in, I don't know, Luke 17, you know, maybe read the, you know, the, the big if you're reading in the middle of the chapter, read from verse one or wherever that passage begins, because then you get the context and you and you try to understand it from the context and comparing scripture. You look up other scriptures that are about mm -hmm. that same topic or whatever. So you you do you know, you do a bit of of study to understand that passage. But that isn't they don't that isn't what this is. This is reading the passage completely out of context to let a word jump out at you. Now, this, of course, is completely non-biblical and completely contrary to the way we should read the Bible. I mean, the Bible's written in words, okay? Words have meanings, and God has a meaning that's being conveyed in the words. And to understand that meaning, we have to use our mind. But this is not using your mind. This is using this mystical technique where you let this word jump out of you it could, it could be um it jumps out at you for an emotional reason right you know it could jump out at you because you heard that word recently it could jump out at you because you like that word i mean who knows mm -hmm. but you don't read the whole passage just to let a word jump out at you now there might be a word that catches your interest that and then you explore it though then you look up and see where that word is where else is it in the Bible? How is it being used? You know, right. if, if there is another, there are some words that they only appear once in the Bible. But in most cases, okay, there's other places where there's that word or variation of it. And then you do a word study. 
but you know, see, that's that's not at all what they're teaching. They're teaching. I, right. I, I, what I say is that Lectio Divina is treating the Bible as an esoteric book, and the Bible's not an esoteric book. And Jesus said, right. um, John, I think it's eighteen. He said, "I did not teach anything in secret. I always taught openly at the synagogues." He said, "I didn't." You know, he made that point. I never taught anything in secret. He didn't have secret teachings. <clears throat> so uh, this is a very important principle, I think, for Christians to understand, because these ideas are in the New Age and the occult. The idea of, of kind of a, 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 a hidden meaning there <clears throat> or to read the book and kind of get this inner subjective meaning, private meaning just for you. Right. Um, and right. yes, you can apply certain things in the Bible that are for you, that God wants you to apply to your life. That's different than this kind of private inner meaning, you know? So, right. Um, Which is one of the big mistake uh, or error that I found and uh, with Jesus calling, you know? Yes. Oh, oh yeah. I could. A lot yeah, of I, that. I, yeah, I, I've we could spend that. a whole podcast just on that. That you could have author. me on, and if you ever, if you ever want to have me on again, <laughs> <laughs> this calling. is number four. Yeah. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, we'll just go on for a while. Now that's yeah. up to you. But I have done a few programs on Jesus Calling, and I have two articles um, on my website. One article I wrote um, based on the first edition. And then when the anniversary edition came out, the 10th anniversary edition came out, there were changes in it, yes. which were very interesting. Yes, there's been and several so, revisions. Yeah. Yes. And so um, actually my seminary I went to, Southern Evangelical Seminary, asked me to write a, an, an article on Jesus Calling for their blog. Mm -hmm. And so I did. So that one has some of the same information is my first article but also other information about the changes because mm -hmm. they made some interesting changes that i think shows without explaining without explaining the changes right and i think it shows that they were I, basically they're trying to cover up the problems that were that a lot of people pointed out with the first one but they didn't that doesn't that doesn't help you know yeah exactly the, it, it just it deepens the problem it, yeah it just it didn't correct the problem you know, yeah. the whole book is problematic when you have Jesus talking yeah. in the first person and he's saying, I, I, I tell you this and this is what I like or I want. It's like it's not Jesus. Right. So, right. And not only that, what I try to tell people is because <clears throat> I'm sorry now my voice is going, but that's all right. <clears throat> um, a lot of people want to know, well, do you do you. Do you think Jesus can't talk to us today or something? And so what I try, the way I try to answer that is because to me, that's another issue. Mm -hmm. And what I say is instead of that, let's, let's ask the question, does what the Jesus and Jesus calling say match the character of Jesus in the Bible? Right. And let's look at that because if it doesn't match the character of Jesus in the Bible, then we know it's not Jesus. Right. And that's my approach. And I did a workshop on this at a women's conference. And that was what I based my workshop on. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I said, let's not deal with the issue. 
you know, can't, could she have heard from Jesus or not? In a way we don't, we can't absolutely know. Some people may believe she couldn't have. Some people may believe she could have. Um, I don't think he would talk that much to her because we already have the Bible. So I right. think unless, I they got, unless God told us to add that to the Bible. <laughs> right. Exactly. But, exactly. You know, That's yeah. The, the scripture is sufficient. But let's look to really get to the heart of the issue. Let's look at the character of Jesus and Jesus calling and compare it to who Jesus is in the Bible. And what you find, and I pointed out in my workshop, is that they don't match up. Hmm. So not to mention Sarah Young was influenced to do this technique of sitting down with a pencil in her hand and listening for words from Jesus. She was inspired to do that by the book God Calling which is an older book that came out from a movement that taught you could do that. You could sit down and hear God. And um, this was a very problematic movement. I think it's called the Oxford movement, but it had different names at different times. I go into that in my first article on Jesus calling. I talk, I have a whole section on God calling because I had that book. Someone had gave me that book years before Jesus calling came out and so when I read mm. that in Jesus Calling, that she was inspired by God yeah, Calling yeah. and she considered that book a treasure, yeah, I thought, oh, I've got God Calling. <laughs> yeah, there and you go. I, I looked, I read through that. And God Calling, which I had already noticed is, is one of the books I picked up as a new Christian, believe it or not, in a book, Christian bookstore. Years ago, I was a really new believer and I picked up this book, God Calling, because the title was intriguing to me. And I started looking through it. And you know what I what I kept thinking as I was reading it? This sounds like something from the new age. This doesn't sound Christian. And sure enough, that movement really was very influenced by the new thought movement. And you can see that in God calling. You can see the new thought footprints. And so um, I go into that in my article. New thought was a movement just real quickly. Um, that claims to be, it still is a movement that claims to be Christian, uh, but it actually is not. But they talk about Jesus. They talk about God. They use scripture. Um, and new thought is one of the components of, of the new age. The new age adopted a lot of new thought, but new thought is still a distinct movement. So the, just so people know what I'm talking about, the three churches that came out of that were the Christian Science Church. Uh, unity and the church of religious science uh, what they call right. sometimes fine sciences so uh god calling is more in that camp it's not okay. in the it's not in the christian camp at all right, right. wow okay probably ran well, out of time <laughs> yeah we're, we're coming to the end here but wow this has been rich uh with the information we need you know i it, you know, it's a lot of it is because people, like you say, that people will make men, quick mental uh, endorsements of things if it carries the name of a certain publisher or a certain yes. uh, popular speaker, preacher, teacher, man or male or female, you know, and so they, they'll just, oh, okay, well, if they say it's okay, well, then it's got to be okay. Instead yeah, of yeah. doing the homework ourselves, you know, um, it reminds me again of the very important scripture um, in, uh, first John chapter four, where he says, beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. And 
It's a simple instruction. It's two sentences. John gives it to us there. Of course, we're told more, even more of that elaborated throughout the New Testament. A lot of the New Testament letters were the, the, there are the authors of these New Testament letters and our books were writing uh, almost in every one of those letters is in response to a uh, false teaching that was already exactly. permeated in the church that exactly. people were adopting or accepting, whether it was about the second coming or the nature of Christ or all these things. And so they, you know, so, you know, it's just, especially today, I know there's a lot of negative and, and poor resources on the internet, but there's also a lot of good ones. And it's so easy to do the research today, as opposed to just five to 10 years ago. So, yeah. you know, there's your ministry, Truth Unbound, shameless plug there. Uh, there's uh, yeah. so many, but there's so many. Um, right. And, uh, the, you know, this is, as I heard, I think it was Sean McDowell said the other day, this has really become the golden age of apologetics. Um, mm. You know, and so, mm. you know, this is uh, the it, it, little bit of homework and you can go, oh, oh, so it's not really biblical. You know, you yeah. can, you know, if you have the right sources that really are founded on the basic fundamental doctrines of the faith. So uh, it's just to do a little bit of the homework, but nobody, because of our heavily busied lifestyles, usually just doesn't want it. We want the quick drive-through answer and, uh, right. okay, I'll go, I'll go with that. And uh, yeah. then you keep doing that. And then you find yourself 10 years down the road with very little biblical knowledge, but a lot of uh, sound bites, you know? Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so, yeah, so it's, um, you know, it's just got to do it. So, uh, and I'm re I recall the scripture too, um, in second Timothy, uh, verse three for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. He's talking about believers, supposed to believers, but according yes. to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers and they will turn the ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. But yes. you be watchful in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. So, um, you know, we just got to realize it's out there and it's going to be an angel of light. It's not going to be come up and appear as an ugly angel of darkness uh, right. or, or right. a pitchfork in, in a red suit. You know, uh, it's it's going to be subtle and it's going to be deceptive. And so I appreciate your ministry and what God's uh, constantly, you, you know, using you as his instrument of grace and truth uh, in this and appreciate it so much, Marsha. If you want to, once again, real quick, uh, tell everybody, and uh, we'll do like we did with the last one, we'll have right here, you should be seeing uh, those who are watching this and we'll, and she'll t give it, read it out to you. But uh, the uh, website, uh, your website, okay. what is it again? Yeah, sure. It's christiananswersnewage.com. Okay. So just yeah. go there and you can, click on articles and you can scroll down through the articles. I don't have them listed anywhere yet, but you can also put a word in the search box, uh, you know, like astrology and the articles and podcasts on astrology should come up. Um, or So you can contact me too on Facebook. I'm on Facebook and I have a ministry page on Facebook called Christian Answers for the New Age. So if you would like to go there and look and follow that page, I post things there um i post a little uh, i post it on my personal page too but i really um like to have it uh, and have the discussions all on my ministry page so everybody can you know participate and see what's going on because my personal page you know 
is not my ministry page. <laughs> right, right. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. You know, but it, it's okay. I can I have discussions on my personal page too sometimes. But okay. I do my my ministry page is focused on the areas of my ministry. Okay. Fantastic. I know I've used it as a resource. Yes, that search feature is golden for your site because it's so chock full of of uh research and good information and I appreciate it Thank so you. much. So um, well, we, we will have you back and uh, we'll okay. talk about a couple of those subjects you've done okay. tempted me. Now I've fallen to temptation. <laughs> uh -oh, and so, uh -oh. <laughs> so we'll do it again and okay. uh, look forward to it, but, uh, let's go and have a closing word of prayer. Okay. Uh, sure. Father, thank you again so much for Marsha and, uh, Lord, as we said last time, you're just using her mightily and I'm glad for it. And, uh, we are all better for it. And I, I thank you for her and others who are uh, defending the faith uh, unapologetically and uh, the, these apologetics ministries that defend the faith. And I thank you for the calling you put on our life and how it's affecting lives and and uh, changing lives. And we thank you for that. Father, continue to uh, provide for her and bless her and protect her and guide her, Father, uh, in in this ministry. And Lord, we love you and we thank you for your word, your truth that you give to us and just you give us the opportunity to speak that truth in grace and love to others. And um, we uh, want to give a good answer for the hope that's, that's uh, asked about that is within us by others. And uh, we thank you for this in Christ's name. Amen. All righty. Well, thank you again. Right. And we will see you soon. For those who are listening and watching, want to remind you uh, that uh, here as well for Truth Unbound, uh, we appreciate it. it. It It'll help spread the word as well. And help the algorithms that are out there in these podcast apps and YouTube, if you would click on like and click on all notifications, as well as click to subscribe and or follow the podcast. And then uh, also share uh, the link to this with everyone that you know. And remember to follow the truth, because when you follow Jesus, you'll always follow the truth. All right. Thank you again. And we'll see you again next time.